Welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm Christian, and I'm so glad that you could join me again this week. Today, we're returning to a figure we've already covered on the channel, and that is Charles Spurgeon. As many of you will know, Charles Spurgeon is the famous Baptist preacher of the 19th century and popularly known as the Prince of Preachers. When we look at Charles Spurgeon's sermons, we're looking at truly what myself and many would consider the pinnacle of Baptist preaching, evangelical preaching, English preaching, Victorian age preaching, whatever you might say, he truly is one of the greats when it comes to Christian preachers. So, as we've done in the past, we're going to be looking at one of his sermons. For those who are interested and are wondering what I'm talking about, uh, a little while ago I covered Spurgeon's life in a brief little biographical sketch, but also one of his sermons on the personality of the Holy Spirit. I'll leave a link to that in the description down below if you want to check it out. But today, as I said, we're returning to Spurgeon, and to do that, as you can see here what I'm holding up, it's one of the volumes from the collection of Spurgeon sermons. This is volumes 7 and 8 put together. You could see behind me, perhaps, right, uh, my head is in the way, I believe, right here. There you go. Look, we did it. There you could see Spurgeon set, a gift that I got from my brother and sister-in-law upon graduating my own Baptist seminary, so I'm very grateful. We're going to be turning back into this series and looking at Spurgeon's sermon called Marks of Faith. For those who are wondering, Marks of Faith, we're, just to give you a brief teaser, we're going to dive into the sermon. Spurgeon is essentially discussing what Christian faith should look like. So let's dive in. And first of all, I want you to I want you to listen as I read the little introduction to the sermon. So again, this is the uh, Spurgeon sermon volumes, volume seven and eight. This is sermon number nine, Marks of Faith. Let me read you the little intro that we have for this sermon. All aids by which a true evangelical faith may be distinguished will be of special value particularly to inexperienced or doubtful Christians. This discourse groups plain, practical characteristics and illustrations of faith in an admirable manner. It was preached at Exeter Hall, May 27, 1860, and is one of several of which the author says, They have all sounded as the silver trumpet of jubilee in the ears of bankrupt sinners. So there you go, the little intro to this sermon. Think of it sort of like if you're familiar with the Psalms in the Bible, there's the Psalm, but there's the little prescript. I just read you the prescript to this sermon to give you an idea where we're diving in. So with that said, let's dive into Spurgeon's The Marks of Faith. First thing we need to note as we approach this sermon is that the introduction, Spurgeon really gives us this idea of how these marks of faith, which he's about to unpack, are truly rooted in Jesus's example and teaching. So, one of Spurgeon's opening lines in this sermon is to say, You will remember that Luke, in his letter to Theophilus, speaks of things which Jesus began to do and to teach, as if there was a connection between his doings and his teachings. Spurgeon here, of course, is referencing Acts 1.1. I'll read that in the ESV. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Essentially, Spurgeon is making a point to say that we cannot distinguish between Jesus' example and his teaching. He goes on to clarify Spurgeon stating this, Jesus Christ had never occasion to say, do as I say, but not as I do. His words and his actions were in perfect harmony with one another. 
Spurgeon's point here as we approach the marks of faith, as we consider our faith as Christians, is this. We look to Jesus as our example. When we consider Jesus' life in the Gospels, his words perfectly matched up with his actions, his teaching perfectly in harmony with his example. So the encouragement here as we begin is, if we say we have faith, our faith should be demonstrated in our lives. Just as Jesus never said, do as I say, not as I do, we should never be in a position when it comes to faith to say, do as I say, but not as I do. Our faith in words should be matched by our faith in deeds. So as we consider marks of faith, as with everything in the Christian life, we're looking to Jesus as our great example. That's Spurgeon's little opening. It's a powerful introduction. I encourage you, a link to this series down below in the description. Check it out for yourself. But now let me summarize to you some of the points that Spurgeon makes. And to be clear, Spurgeon gives us an outline to what he's doing and where he's going. So let me dive in and give you that outline. Spurgeon, in classic Baptist fashion, if you've been to a Baptist church and if you've been to a Baptist church for a while or been through Baptist seminary, you'll know that Baptist preachers love their three-point sermons. But Spurgeon one-ups us all, the classic Prince of Preachers moves, and he has three topics, so very much a three-point sermon, but within each of those topics, he has three points to make. So it's truly three topics with three points. And what are those? Spurgeon will first cover the three stages of faith. Next, he'll look at three diseases to which faith is subject. And then finally, three questions about your faith. So essentially, to give you a bit more detail, Spurgeon is going to, through an illustration, a biblical passage, he is going to present three stages of faith as Christians mature. Then he's going to look at three issues that come up as we consider faith, work out our faith, talk about faith, as we progress through those stages of faith. So, stage of faith, problem. Stage of faith, problem. Stage of faith, problem. And then finally, with all those stages, with all those problems, he will offer three questions for me and you, for his listener, to consider as we work out our own faith, as we seek to walk in faith. So, stage of faith, question or problem about that faith, and then finally, application for me and you. So, three points, three little sub-points, and a lot for us to think about. So anyway, let's dive in. I'll read you now the entire passage that Spurgeon is working with from the Gospel of John. Please listen well. John 4, 43 to 54. That's John 4, 43 to 54, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, 
at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. What a powerful passage, the passage of faith and healing and Jesus just doing what Jesus does in terms of miracles. And of course, the response from the people was to believe. This is a powerful text, and I believe that Spurgeon uses this text quite powerfully as he addresses the issue of the marks of faith and, of course, those questions and applications for us. But let's dive in that first of the three points, the three stages of faith. So, the three stages of faith. Spurgeon first points out the first stage of faith, the seeking stage. This is where he points to the passage and draws to mind how the official recalls the teaching and reputation of Jesus and seeks him out. He pleads in sincere prayer for Jesus, who Spurgeon in his sermon often calls the master, to heal his son. So the first stage of faith that we encounter is the seeking stage. When we run into an issue in our lives, when we consider a, either a problem, a sin, or something in our lives, whatever it might be, and we recall or we realize, hey, Jesus might be the one who has the answers, and we seek Jesus out for those answers. When we plead with Jesus in sincere prayer, when we cry out to him, when we begin to seek Jesus as our Savior, that is the first stage of faith. The second stage is the relying stage. And this is what happens when Jesus simply says that his son is healed. The official son is healed. The father, hearing this, that his son is healed, goes away cheerfully knowing that it is done. This is the stage when after seeking Jesus and Jesus has said what he needs to do, that he simply believes Jesus. He goes away joyfully because he trusts Jesus at his word. So in the case of the official, it was my son is sick. Jesus said he is healed. And the official knows he is healed, he is happy. Likewise, that might be for us when we're struggling with perhaps it's self-value. Perhaps it's questions about our worth. And we look and we turn to Jesus, we cry out to him and we turn to Jesus' word. And he says that we have value in him, that we are his people and that he loves us. And that while we were still sinners, he died for our salvation. This is the relying stage when we, struggling with our value, struggle with our worth, take Jesus at his word. When we go, yes, I do have value. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died with me. That God so loved the world so much that he sent his only beloved son to die for me. That is the relying stage. When we seek Jesus out, we hear his word and we trust in him to do as he says. And this leads us to our third stage, the full assurance stage. The father sees that indeed his little one was healed. He triumphs in a higher sense. The whole house then believes. This is the point in our faith when we see that Jesus said what he said and we believe that he would do it, but then we see it with our own eyes. So in the case of perhaps self-value and worth, that might be we hear what Jesus says we have value, then over time we begin to see that play out. We begin to see, yes, I do have value. Whatever that looks like, whatever happens in your life where suddenly it clicks. Yes, I heard Jesus say it, but now I see it with my own eyes. I have worth. And then, as Spurgeon points out through the story, this trickles down into other people's lives. In the case of the royal official, 
His whole household heard the story. They saw the healing, and then they believed. This might be in our case where we're struggling with self-worth and value. That's my little example. We hear what Jesus says. We see it in our own lives, our worth. And then the people around us see that and they rejoice. Their Their faith is strengthened. So those are the three stages of faith. There's the seeking stage, recognizing there's a problem and we need Jesus and running after him. There's the relying stage when we trust in what Jesus says. We trust in his presentation of the gospel and who he is and what he's done for us. And finally, there's the full assurance stage that comes after that. When we see Jesus's words play out in time, in our lives, or perhaps in the life to come. But those are the three stages of faith. But Spurgeon doesn't leave us there. He next moves to three diseases that plague us as we move through these stages of faith. Let's turn to those now. Three diseases to which faith is subject. One, with regard to seeking faith. So that first stage. I'm quoting Spurgeon here. We are very likely, when we are seeking, to suspend prayerfulness. So, as we are seeking Jesus, as we recognize our problem, as we're running to him, there's a very real temptation to stop praying. Spurgeon elaborates. Listen well. I'm quoting Spurgeon here. How often does the devil whisper in a man's ear, do not pray. It is of no use. Or perhaps after seeing one or two of your prayers answered, how often does the devil whisper in a man's ear, you need not pray anymore. You have got what you asked for. So essentially, as we're in this seeking stage, as we're in this considering stage, as we're in this perhaps giving Jesus a shot phase or trying to give Christianity a a fair shake stage, we might be doing everything in terms of checking the logical side of Christianity, determining whether scripture is reasonable, testing whether the church is healthy and good. But the critical aspect of this stage is prayer. The earnest pleas, remember the official, he earnestly pleads for Jesus. He prays to Jesus to heal his son. The disease that plagues us at this seeking stage of faith is the devil tempting us to not pray. And as Spurgeon will go on to uh, reiterate time and time again, really pick up this book, read this sermon, how this is critical. Christians without prayer, as we'll look at in a moment, that's a Christian with a Christless soul. If someone is earnestly seeking Jesus out of genuine faith, they will be a person of prayer. So if you're in this seeking stage of faith, if you're one of those at the start we had, those questioning Christians or those doubtful Christians, be a Christian of prayer. Prayer is something we need as we seek, and that is a disease. This temptation to cease prayer, to be of prayerfulness, uh, the lack of it, that is a disease that especially tempts us at this stage of the seeking faith. Let's move on to the second stage and the question, the disease that plagues us there. With regard to trusting Christ implicitly, Spurgeon quotes, wanting to see signs and wonders or else they will not believe. If you read of Spurgeon's sermon again, he gives this illustration of going to a rural town and being a pastor and how the people would only believe when they saw these wonderful signs. So in the case of Spurgeon in this rural town, it's this, imagine this small town and they had a preacher who did all sorts of signs and wonders and they believed. And of course, that was a problem for their faith because then their faith was based on not who Jesus is and what Jesus says, but rather on these other signs, these other wonders. So, 
as you're trusting in Christ implicitly, as you're at this implicit trust in Christ stage, as you hear what Jesus says and believe in that, don't connect that with signs and wonders. It's solely rooted on what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done and what we have written in Jesus' word. A problem at this stage of faith is only believing or are building our faith's foundation not on Jesus himself, but on signs and wonders that are kinda, sorta, maybe actually or not connected to Jesus. An issue, a disease plaguing your faith at the relying stage is basing it on signs and wonders. That's not healthy. And as we'll see, that speaks to some application later on. But let's turn to that third disease, the disease at the full assurance stage. With regard to full assurance, and I quote Spurgeon here, want of observation. Spurgeon points out, and I'm quoting Spurgeon, we do not get our assurance because we do not observe enough. So if you're a Christian progressing in your faith and you struggle with assurance, Spurgeon's point is that the disease we have is that we don't observe enough. Again, reading Spurgeon's sermon here, and there are, if you're interested, let me know. I could get you the full quotes. I would have to type them up. But this is where Spurgeon points out how in the days of his fathers, the Puritans, people would look at the rain and go, that was God uncorking heaven's heavenly storehouses of rain, whatever the fancy term is. And Spurgeon looks at that, and then he looks at his generation, who will then go, they'll see the rain, and they'll go, oh, that was a result of condensation filling clouds, and then those clouds uh, excurting extra water and whatnot and so forth. But that's a point of saying, Spurgeon says it way more eloquently than I can paraphrase it, as you can probably hear. But Spurgeon's point is that we struggle with full assurance because we do not observe enough. We don't look at the ordinary means of God's grace, at his ordinary providential provision, whether that's the rain from the sky, the breath in our lungs every day, our eyes opening up to see the sun rise. We don't look at those things and observe how God is at work, how this is God's universe. Or perhaps we don't look and see how Perhaps this is a classic example I've used in a sermon and youth group and all sorts of different discipleship groups where there might be a small prayer that we have. So in my case, it was driving to school one day and I was late for an exam and traffic was horrible. And I was trying to like figure out, is there an alternate route? I was fiddling on my GPS. I was considering different turns I could take to get to my exam on time. I stopped, I prayed, and suddenly traffic cleared. My initial temptation was not to praise God for answering my prayer and clearing traffic so I could get to the exam on time. It was to then go, oh, it must have been an accident up ahead that cleared. Or, oh, someone must have been pulled over to the side and now they're moving again. That is an issue with observation. I would have more assurance. I would be reaching full assurance if I were to recognize, wait a second, While there might be natural answers, that was God answering my prayer. That was God at work in providence, hearing my cry and answering my prayer. I should be observing God's work in addition to those natural realities. Our issue with full full assurance is our want of observation. We will look at these things that take place in our natural world, that take place in our social interactions, and we'll forget to thank and praise God for all that he's doing amidst these ordinary daily things. So, what is the disease that plagues our faith at the full assurance stage? It is that we don't observe enough. We see everything going around, 
but we forget to recount, to pray, and remember how this is God's providential work. This is God's mercifully answering of prayers, whether it's the rain, whether it's the clearing traffic, whether it's that friend reaching out with the time that you are waiting for, whatever it might be, whether it's your bed, uh, your bed being made in the morning or your bread being baked in the oven, whatever it might be, are you observing God's work in these ordinary daily things? A disease is that you don't, and that causes issue with your assurance. Anyway, those are the three diseases Spurgeon talks about. Now let's turn to the next thing, the three questions for your faith, the final of the third sections. And these are questions I will pose, I'll explain from Spurgeon, and then leave you with as we close out this episode. Three questions about your faith. Does thy faith make thee pray? I use Spurgeon's language there. And I will quote Spurgeon on this point. Not the praying of a man who prays like a parrot the prayers he has learned, but dost thou cry the cry of a living child? Dost thou tell to God thy wants and thy desires? And dost thou seek his face and ask his mercy? Man, if thou livest without prayer, thou art a Christless soul. Thy faith is a delusion, and thy confidence which results from it is a dream that will destroy thee. So the question about your faith, and these are the marks of faith to determine, is your faith genuine? Are you a person of prayer? I can't remember who said it, but I think it might have been John Piper. He might have been quoting a Puritan. I don't know. I'll have to track it down. I apologize. I'm speaking off the cuff here. But a Christian without prayer is like a human without breath. That might be Luther. Now I can't remember. Or Calvin. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to look here. Anyway, but the point is this. If you are asking and considering your faith, if you're looking for the marks of faith, one of the first things you need to ask is, do you pray? And not just do you pray prayers that you learned, but do you sincerely cry out to God your Father? Do you sincerely ask for His help? Do you sincerely beg for His mercy? Do you sincerely plead for His wisdom and guidance? That is a question about your faith, and that is a question relevant at any stage, but especially consider it at your seeking stage. If you're a seeking Christian with a seeking faith, whether it's a time of being an inexperienced Christian or a doubtful Christian, if you're actually giving faith a fair shake or actually considering, am I really seeking Jesus? The question is, as you're considering all the logical arguments, as you're reading through scripture, comparing it with other things, as you're testing it to see in your life or in your church or in your family, this and that, the question is, does your faith make you pray? If it doesn't, you're a Christian with a Christless soul, no Christian at all. But if it does, even the smallest prayer, even the smallest sincere prayer, that is breath in your lungs. And that is a mark of your faith. And that is an encouragement. So with all these questions, as you'll see, depending how you answer them, either it's a cause for encouragement, or I hope that you'll take Spurgeon's message as I explain it as a wake-up call. That is time to really reconsider. That is time to get recommitted. That is time to reinvest. And of course, as Spurgeon would say, like, as any Christian should say, this would be a time to really speak to your elders, speak to your pastors, get invested in your church's life. They're your brothers and sisters that you need as you consider these questions. And we'll get to that in the last point. Anyway, the second question about your faith. Does that faith make thee obedient? Let me quote Spurgeon again. Rest assured that if you can go on disobedient to the moral laws of God, if your life is inconsistent and levitious, that's a new word for me, if your conversation is mixed up with the things which even a worldling might reject, the love of God is not in you. 
I do not plead for perfection, but I do plead for honesty. Essentially, Spurgeon is saying, if you're a Christian, if you have faith, and you're, if you say you have faith, I should say, and your life looks nothing different than a worldling, a person of the world, if your life would make even a worldling, someone who's not a Christian, be shocked or disgusted, that's an issue. And for those who might go, oh, I feel the yoke of the law, I feel this heaviness on me, Spurgeon clarifies, and again, Spurgeon, he's someone, check him out for Law and Gospel, read it for himself, but I encourage you, he's making it clear He's not calling for perfection, moral law perfection. We can never accomplish that. That's why we need Jesus. What he is saying is honesty. If you're a person who does struggle with sin, do you just live in that sin? Or do you cry out for God? Go back to that first point. Do you pray for mercy? Do you pray for help? Do you pray for change? That's the question here. Does your faith make you obedient? If you're struggling with sins, do you just live in that struggle and enjoy it? Do you enjoy those sins? Or are you a person actively striving against them, actively working to change, actively seeking God's help through his means of grace to see your life become more holy, to become more like Christ? Do you trust in him to answer that prayer? That's the question asking you. Not just a, are you a more checking more boxes? No, that would be something different. But rather, are you a person living, looking to live more like Christ? Do you see that change, not just in your actions, but in your heart? That's the question. If you say you have faith, but nothing has changed in your life, not even your disposition, not even your prayerful attitude, not even your repentant heart, that's an issue that you need to work through. And again, if you need to work through it, I'm just a guy on the internet. Spurgeon is a dead person who can't speak to you now. Go talk to the elders at your local evangelical Baptist church and get their help. Join with the church and get their assistance. But now our third and final question. Has thy faith led thee to bless thy household? Again, hearkening us back to the story of the official when he believed and he saw and he recounted the story and people saw the healed person, the whole household believed. This is Spurgeon's point based on that passage. And I'm quoting Spurgeon here. A man who can keep his godliness to himself has no small portion of it. I am afraid it will be no credit to himself and no blessing to other people. A last question about the mark of faith. When you're at that full assurance stage, as you're really seeking to grow and mature as a Christian, does your faith bless other people? It should. If you have faith and if you're living as a Christian, you should be a blessing. That's what we're called to do. The greatest commandment is love God. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor. Does your faith bless people around you? Does your obedience to God's moral law bless other people around you? Does your prayer bless other people around you? That is the question. And these have been the questions to ask of your faith. And in conclusion now, truly, I want to remind you of something. This is from me. Spurgeon talks about it in other places, but this is a message from little old Christian. As we remember that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, please remember this. It is not the perfect faith that saves but it's faith. It doesn't matter how big your faith is. It doesn't matter how magnificent your faith works out. It doesn't matter the all sorts of good works that flow from your faith. Remember, it's by grace through faith, no qualifier, that you are saved. It doesn't have to be the faith of a holy mega Christian. It doesn't have to be the faith of some monk who lives in a monastery somewhere. It's faith. Have you received the gift of faith? Have you prayed to God to receive that gift of faith? through his grace. That is the faith that saves, not the mega faith, but faith. Even if it's as small as a mustard seed, 
That is the faith that saves. So I encourage you as you're working through whatever stage you're at, if you are a person of Christian faith, be encouraged. Christ has died for you. His grace covers you. His righteousness stands as a cloak you wear before God our Father. But I also encourage you, if you're a person who's struggling with faith, questioning faith, or is without faith at all, pick up a book like Spurgeon's Sermons or perhaps talk to a Christian you know. Ask them what it is about faith that makes it something worth considering. Reach out to a local pastor or elder around you. Talk to them about faith. What's going on with it all? You need to hear the message of sin and salvation in Christ alone. And that is my encouragement to you. If you're a Christian listening to this, I hope that Spurgeon's marks of faith have been something that will either get you to, maybe it's that recommitment, maybe it's that I need to get better about this, or maybe it's that simple assurance, yes, I do pray. Yes, I see marks of obedience. Yes, I see the blessing. And maybe it's not the blessing of your faith, but the blessing of someone else's. I pray that's an encouragement. But that's all I have for today. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. I hope that this has caused you to ask some questions. I hope that you will, if you need to, reach out to a local elder or pastor to talk more about these topics. But that's all I have for right now. I hope you enjoyed. I hope that if you have any questions or comments or suggestions, leave them in the YouTube comment box down below. Send me an email. You can find that through my blog link, which is down below as well. But otherwise, that's it for now. Take care. God bless. See you next time here on Christian's Colloquy.